Okay, welcome back. Double J Weekend Review. We're back. We have survived the snowmageddon that has hit Memphis. Today, we have a weekend review. It'll probably be a quicker episode. We are going to touch on some other leagues today. Um, no transfer news. That's coming Thursday. A big transfer special from Jace on Thursday. So, weekend review of this weekend's games. The best game of the weekend were the games that did not involve the big teams. We'll talk all that. We will talk about Real Madrid's game this weekend, or uh, Real Vardrid, uh, Barcelona, and also Bayern Munich are in a spot in the Bundesliga. We'll talk about them, get into everything. No winners or losers or Mike Dean or Gary O'Neill this weekend because there were literally five games. Um, that'll come back when we have regular programming. Okay, let's get into it. Okay, welcome back. Double J Weekend Review. We're going to jump right into it. We're essentially going to... Well, no, we're not. I was going to say we were going to go in order. We're not. But we will start out with Jace's Arsenal. Arsenal 5, Palace 0. Is warm weather training just like steroids to, to soccer players, Jace? I feel like we're at a point where if they go to Saudi Arabia, if they go to Dubai... Is Dubai in Saudi Arabia? Yes. UAE. UAE, excuse me. My, I get confused um it is just a guarantee that you're gonna slap somebody around the next game yeah and it surely helps when it's uh possibly the worst informed team in the league i don't think it's actually possibly i think palace are the in the worst form in the entire league um the warm weather training definitely helped they needed a mental and physical reset after this little seven game skid in all comps um that only win coming at brighton in those seven games but it certainly helped to go out there um you know, bonding, relaxing, just, you know, all your warm weather, favorite warm weather activities. Mm -hmm. And then you come back and you play, as I said, the worst form team in the pat in the Premier League without their best player, Michael Lise. And it wasn't perfect by any means, but I mean, Gabriel scores a goal and then calls his own goal um, offset pieces pretty quickly. And then you have, um, you know, up to Trossard from Raya, 10 seconds. Yeah, dude, should that never happen. That should never happen, ever. Especially um, these days. Like, yeah. th in this current, like, I, I, I was looking at this earlier today. I wanted to, we're going to talk about this here in a minute. But there's a crazy stat about goal scorers and who wins the league. If you don't have a 20-goal-a-season striker, you're just not going to win the Premier League in this day and age with how many goals are scored. It is very rare that a team like Arsenal, like City, like Liverpool, get counterattacking opportunities where they can let their fast guys be fast in this day and age. It's so rare. And it was, like Jay said, 10 seconds. It looked great for Arsenal, but it was also one of those things where you're looking at Palace and you're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, and then same with the last two on the Martinelli goal. I know they didn't matter. They were both in the span of, I think it was like 100 seconds in stoppage time. But, like, they let the same exact thing happen twice 100 seconds apart. They let the ball go out to Martinelli. They let him cut it on his right foot, and they let him shoot to the bottom right corner. Harbing copy goal. Dean Henderson, how he doesn't see it coming the second time, even if he gives up his near post. Like, this guy just did it to you 100 seconds ago, and you're going to fall for it again? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, this was great for Arsenal. It was exactly what the doctor ordered, but... I think the biggest thing here is how horrible 
horrible Palace are right now. Um, I know Robbie Earl was talking after the game um, on NBC and saying, like, maybe Roy Hodgson just needs to go to the ownership and be like, look, I've done all I can, but we need something else because I know he loves the club. And, I mean, there's nowhere to go. They're going to be saved by the potential penalties to Forrest and Everton again and the one they've already gotten, plus the three promoted teams just – aren't that good, even though they're better than they Palace are right now, to be honest. But they're broken. Um, yeah. Roy doesn't want to be there, I don't no. think. His interviews, I talked about this two months ago. Yes, dude, after His the interviews. Liverpool game. Yeah, yeah, after the Liverpool game, he was the exact, he's the exact same way he is today, where it was like, this guy clearly, probably one, I think, signed up for that half of the season or whatever it was last year when they sacked Vieira. Get him to the end of the season and find someone else. They then said, hey, can you give us one more year? I'm sure he wasn't 100% bought into that. And it now looks like just a mess. They're a mess. There is nothing for Palace right now. Like you have Eze and Elise, right? And this weekend, no Elise. Eze was the only guy that looked like he was going to do anything of significance anything no one else looked like they were going to show up no one else looked like they were going to get something going forward it was nothing it was nothing yeah and we talked about it at the time decoria was the worst possible injury they could have had because mm -hmm. he meant so much to them not only defensively but also going forward but they played four center backs in this game including chris richards at dm and they conceded five goals Two of them from set pieces when, again, you had four center backs. Chris Richards himself got absolutely dominated by Gabriel in the first one, and the second one was even, wasn't even any better. Like, I don't know. It's just a huge problem. And I go, when I was talking about it two months ago, the, the Roy comments, they were putting in good performances. They weren't getting results. No. Now they're just not playing well and obviously not getting results. And, I mean, I think um, you've got to try and go and find someone else and – it was interesting that Graham Potter was there. I find that odd. Um, we haven't seen him very much, and it's not like he has some big connection to Palace. If anything, they should hate him because of the Brighton days. So I think that would be the logical next step. Whether he would do it or not remains to be seen, but something has to change. I do think if they take Roy to the end of the year, I still think they survive because of those reasons I listed, but uh, it's just... A, it's not looking good at it's all. Not, it's not going to be pretty. That's the thing. It's going to be an right. ugly second half of the season. There are teams that they should be around. Bournemouth, Wolves, Fulham. That bracket you expect Palace to be in. There, there's not a chance in hell they're in that bracket. There, there's just no. not. And to be honest, you expect them to be at the top of it. Yeah. Yes. Going into the season, if you had given me Bournemouth, Wolves, Fulham, Palace, I would have said, why are you throwing Palace in there? Because I had concerns Wolves and Fulham were going to have a big regression and go down. I had a concern that uh, Bournemouth were going to go down. All three of those teams look significantly better than what Palace are offering right now. Yep. And, and Lerma went from Bournemouth, one of their best players. And what's he doing now? Looks but, like a fish out of water. Yep. He's on a worse team. And he was, again, the Decorey injury was brutal. Him and Decorey had a good partnership. But... They just weren't prepared for any of their big three players. I'm I'm counting Decoria the big three players because he's just that massive. He is being hurt. Elise missed oh, what until November. 
Yeah. Corey Torres Achilles is obviously out for the season. And Eze has been having to do it on his own. He's missed a couple games here and there, but he's most of the time been available. They don't have anyone who could score up front. And I mean, this Arsenal team is leaking set piece goals and just dumb mistakes before this winter break or whatever. And I know Raya had probably his best game in an Arsenal shirt, not just distribution. He made a couple good saves, but the best one he made was from outside the box. And I'm not even sure it was going in. Like, yeah. And I said that if I think a couple of weeks ago, I said if Mateta is going to be able to do that hold up play, say a good game against City, if I remember correctly, yeah. you think that's who but, it was. Wait, did they end up drawing that game? I can't remember. I think they did. And it was one of those where it was kind of like, um, let me see. Hold on. I'm checking right now. Yeah, they got the 2-2 with City December 16th. That was when it happened. And I remember saying if Mateta can hold the ball up like that, if he can interlink play with the wingers, that's fine. They'll be okay with that. The problem is when he gets static and when he becomes turns into a statue up top and is essentially 1v1 with Saliba and Gabriel, just like it was this entire game, he's useless. He's, he's not worth the time. And, and that's not like his fault either. Like, I mean, no. that's just the player he is. Yeah. And I think on the Potter thing, it's weird for like multiple reasons because surely this job was available in the summer. There were rumors he was offered the job, if I remember correctly, in the summer and was like, no, I don't want to, I'm not ready for management, whatever. But how how is he now ready to go? It, I, it doesn't make sense to me. And then the second thing is, if you continue the way you're going, we talk about next season, uh, and they would be, if it, if everything stays the same right now, we'll, we'll, we'll throw the, the potential point deduction for Everton and Forrest out the window. If everything stays the same right now, Palace are one of the teams that I'm thinking could be guaranteed to go down. If it stays the way it's going. Because I think if it stays the way it's going, one, Elise is going to leave. If Elise leaves, Eze is going to start to explore his options. If Eze leaves, Decore starts to explore his options. You start to see what could happen. I, I don't know. I think you have to get a young manager who can keep those guys signed on because Jace talks about their big three. Eze would probably go for about 40 to 50. I think Decore goes for 60 easy because sixes and defensive midfielders are just hard to find these days, like really good ones. Elise is going for 80 to 90. So you have a ton of money in the bank there. And then what, what would happen? You have to be able to invest that money into a guy you believe in for the future, not Roy Hodgson. And we love Roy. Yeah, we do, but his future was over at Palace after his last tenure, which I believe was before Stevie G, correct? Yeah. And, or excuse me. Not uh, Stevie G, Vieira. Not Stevie G. Uh, who was there last year? Vieira. Uh, Vieira, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, yeah, and with that money, like, do they trust him to invest that much? Will they let all three of them go? Will it turn into a Schneiderland situation at Southampton? where they've let so many people go, they have to tell one of them no. Mm. And then that person is pissed off yeah. and doesn't play very well the next season. So, I mean, I just think in this sport, it's always better to do what you know you need to do now as opposed to waiting. Because let's say you bring in Graham Potter. He can now be planning with the higher-ups what they want to do in the summer. What's going to mm -hmm. happen if we lose all three of those guys? Who are we going to get to replace them? Yep. All of that. And especially with Potter's past history at Brighton, I know a lot of that's Tony Bloom. Um, 
but like he's been around elite elite up in the best of the world of recruitment levels yeah like that's something he brings and if you're gonna have to get rid of roy at the end of the season which you are he's gonna retire anyway yeah. like it's just better to go ahead and get over it and, and do it now i was looking at their team we need to throw gay in there probably too as a guy who would probably be exploring his options as well um, because of how good he's been. If you look at their team, Will Hughes, dead weight. Jeffrey Schlupp is usable, but if we're being honest, are, are we really expecting Jeffrey Schlupp to produce us numbers? No. Nathaniel Blair at best for a team like Palace. Yeah, Nathaniel Klein at this point. I'm sorry, dead weight. Some of their younger guys, I like Matthias Franca. I like, I think if you let one of those guys go, you can rely on Franca to get you something, but like the James Tompkinses of this side aren't good enough in the Premier League anymore. And they will for certain not be good enough next year. So they need to start planning now because right. It, like Jay says, they're the most out of form team in the league. We're, we're including Luton into this. We're including Sheffield United into this. They are the worst team in the Premier League right now. It's not a question. And that's why I think Arsenal need to take this result with a grain of salt. Scoring five is great. Seeing some of these goals get scored is great. But again, the 10-second counterattack isn't going to happen normally because teams are going to be more composed than that. It's a weird one. It's a weird situation Palace have backed themselves into. And I don't want to beat them, beat them up too bad, but I think with the way the fans reacted after the game, the protests going on, the banners and all that, it feels like the fans are right on our side here. No, we haven't had a candid discussion about Palace in, in a while, and it's been this way for too long to not finally just pile on them because that's – at this point, I, I mean, I don't know what – there's no positive for them right now. Like, there was nothing from this game that you could take any positivity from. And I, I completely forgot about the protests you were talking about. But, yeah, they had the banners up at the end of the game, like no vision, no plan, um, no path to success or something like that. And – it was just ugly, 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 ugly. My last thing I want to say on Arsenal is Smith Rowe looks pretty good. I assume he'll be getting more minutes. Mikel talked him up, said he was going to be getting more minutes. Um, West Ham with maybe the one of the more um, audacious moves of the window, trying to get him on loan. Um, why would an already thin Arsenal squad loan out a player? Like if he's going to leave, you're going to have to pay. Yeah, you're not just going to send him on loan for six yeah. months, like. That that this was very like, quickly shut down. It's not like Lukanga in last January. Like, <laughs> like Smith Rowe has something to offer. He's they're not just gonna loan him out to West Ham for nothing. Like the, come on. the last time he played significant minutes, he was your top goal scorer. Like right. I don't think yeah. you're you're gonna have to pay. It might not be as much as it was then, but you're gonna have to make it permanent. And with the questions you have going forward with your number eight role that we've talked about. I can't see Smith Rowe leaving right now. I could see it in the summer, maybe, if this continues. I don't think this is going to continue. It's big it's five months, this. for sure. Yeah, but it's a huge five months for him. Um, Yeah, Palace are in a bad spot. They're in a bad spot. It's a good result for Arsenal, but again, probably the best team you could have faced. After coming off warm weather, after coming off a break, this is exactly what they could have asked for. Um, Anything else? No, that's it. Okay, Palace are in 15th, 21 points. They are five points clear of the relegation zone, which is 
not clear anymore. Some of these bottom teams, the, the bottom three that have been the bottom three essentially all year, Sheffield United, Burnley, and Luton, are kind of finding their feet. Dude, I think one of them is going to survive, and I think it's they likely to. the top, those first two. Yeah. I, I We're going to get into Sheffield United here in a minute. They had a great performance this weekend. I, it, it might just be too little too late. Luton right now, I, I really want to see Rob Edwards keep these guys up. I think it would be something special. Um, meanwhile, Arsenal are in third. They jump uh, over Aston Villa, 43 points. They're level on points with City, level on points with Villa. Uh, better goal difference of Villa, worse goal difference of City, and they're five points off top. Uh, quick, before we get out of this, Jace, quiz time. Can you tell me the last time that a Premier League team won the Premier League without having a 20-goal-a-year striker in the league? Um, oh, wait. Was it one of the early City Pep teams? Like, did Kun Aguero not get to 21 year or something? No, he did, but actually I was wrong about this. I didn't go deep enough. There's there's one anomaly of a year, and then before that, it's a while. Wouldn't have been Liverpool, right? And most no. of them 20 goals that year. Yeah, he um, did. Chelsea with Diego Costa? Nope, he always got to 20, just. Then I'm not sure then. It's 2008-2009. Uh, United won the league. Cristiano Ronaldo had 18 goals, so he almost got there anyway. That attack was also star-studded, so it was just spread around. I forgot that uh, City didn't play with a striker that one year, where Pep got bored and was like, I'm not going to play with a striker. They didn't have a 20-goal-a-year striker in 21-22. Outside of that, if you do not have a 20-goal-a-season striker, you are not winning the league. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a summer problem for Arsenal. That's not going to get fixed in January, unfortunately. Nope. All right, let's move right along. Liverpool four, Bournemouth nil. I, I was expecting this to be a lot closer than it was, and whenever that happens with a big team facing a mid-table team, and I think it's going to be close, why does it always end like this? Yeah, and it, it was close for a while, though. Um, I think the scoreline's a little unfair to Bournemouth. They played decent, but they couldn't take their one or two early opportunities, uh, and... Yeah, then they pretty much just got shut down by Kanate and Van Dyke. Darwin looked really good. Um, mm -hmm. He got clowned early by the fans. He tried to do some sort of scissor kick or something, just completely whiffed, and then went and scored two great goals. The second one was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, and then if they've got Diogo Jota scoring, Darwin scoring, Mo Salah comes back from this shoulder injury or whatever he has, fine. And the two center backs stay healthy. I think they could go all the way. Like, I think City beats them head to head, but they're just, they're really good. Like, I mean, they're not, like, I don't have much else to say about, like, uh, Liverpool overall than the fact that they're just really good this year. And Klopp has done a good job of setting the ship because there's no way in hell the squad's nearly as good as it was two or three years ago. And he's getting players to put in performances, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I agree with everything Jay said. I think if, if, there's a lot of ifs here. If Kanate can stay fit, if Diego Jota can stay fit, if uh, Mohamed Salah's injury isn't as bad and he can come back relatively quickly, uh, which we can get into here in a minute, I, I if Darwin can keep up these performances. I also want to have – my Darwin take is still not wrong. I said this was going to happen. He's going to bang in goals. 
It's just he needs a lot of opportunities. He's getting opportunities. That's what it is. And he is the first Premier League player to 10 goals and 10 assists in all comps now, which is crazy. Um, obviously, I think if De Bruyne or Holland have been healthy this entire time, they're probably there already. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because he would still be on a list of either De Bruyne, Holland, and Darwin Nunes. Like, that's wild. Um, whether or not they can go all the way, I think it's going to be tough for them. Because the problem I think that they're going to run into is very similar to this happened a couple of years ago. They drew two or three games in a row. I think it was the year they were trying to go unbeaten where they lost to Watford and then drew two more on the bounce. And they literally lost the league because of it. They lost one game, drew two, and that was it. City just you weren't yeah, going they to. They both went out and I think they they lost the league on 98 points, I believe it was. And City it was won a Centurion year. Yeah. Or it was either 99 and 100 or 99 and 98. Yeah, it was. I think it was the Centurion year, if I'm thinking correctly. That's the one issue I would uh, concern that I would have if I'm a Liverpool fan is are these guys just going to win out and do the same thing they've done to us like six times now? It would probably kill them. Um, but they are fully in this title race. I think they are the second team in this title race. I don't think that's a doubt now. And if, like I said, a lot of ifs. But if those ifs come true, they can go all the way. I agree with Chase. Yeah, it just all depends on those ifs. And uh, switching to Bournemouth, I mean, you just take it and move on. They lost yeah. this team 9-0 a year ago mm-hmm. in the same stadium. Like, don't call it improvement, but five-goal improvement, eh? Hey, uh, I agree. And Scott Parker's not your manager. Yeah, they're playing so well. And um, coming into this game, they had the most points out of the last seven in the entire league. Like crazy, which is just nuts. I think it was over the last seven match weeks, which would eliminate, which would mean City have only played six games because yeah. of the uh, Club World Cup. But it doesn't matter. That's still extremely impressive um, from Bournemouth. I believe it was 17 points. So this team is still headed in the right direction. Their trajectory is still great. This is nothing to worry about. They just lost to a better team and two guys that had a great day. Yeah, the, uh, I think the problem... This Bournemouth team like to get into the channels and they like to get the ball into the box to Solanke or have Solanke in the channel or up top try and hold it up. You can't do that against Kanate and Van Dyke. It's not. It's not possible. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a realistic approach. And it's kind of Bournemouth's only approach because of who they are. That's fine. That's fine. You. You. It doesn't matter. Just move on. Um, yeah, they don't have a midfield either. Yeah, like Ryan Christie's good, but is. Come on, we got to for what we're trying to do or who you're trying to play is Ryan Christie, the end all and be all. I don't I don't know. No. Um, should we talk about Salah's injury for a second? Yeah. So we got hurt at AFCON in their second game. They've sent him back to Liverpool to undergo intensive therapy uh-huh. in hopes that he can come back for the semifinal or final if they make it. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to happen now. Yeah, I don't think they're going to make the final or the no, semifinal. Most likely, this AFCON has been nuts. We'll talk about it more on Thursday. So maybe. But, yeah, it's just a weird one. Um, to send him back, I guess. I'm, I mean, I'm sure Liverpool have better physios than Egypt. But, I don't know. It's just odd to send him back to England. And it will be very odd if Egypt get eliminated and he plays the next game. 
and will likely draw a FIFA investigation if that's the case. Yeah, his agent came out with that statement today, which uh, to me was sketchy as all get out. He said that his injury is more serious than initially thought and that he could be out for up to 28 days. 28 days is a very specific amount of time. That's like a very weird amount of time. I don't know why it has to be specifically 28 days, but I don't know. It, it The situation's weird. He got a lot of uh, backlash for leaving the Egyptian camp. Very similar to how Anana got a lot of backlash for not going to Cameroon and staying with United against Tottenham, where he's like, oh, club better than country, club better than country. And it's like, well, there is an aspect of club is playing, country is also playing at the same time. You've got to think kind of in two brains there. But I don't know. I don't think he's going back to AFCON. I would be shocked if he goes back to AFCON. I doubt it, too. I don't think he will. Okay. Uh, and then the last thing to get through on this game, Patrick Clivert. Patrick Clivert. Patrick Cl Justin Clivert. Definitely should have gotten sent off. Yeah, it was the one that I don't want to see as a red card because yes. he was going for the ball and went through it and landed on the shin, and there wasn't much force behind it. A little bit. I guess, but we've seen it given in the past uh, multiple times. This one wasn't going over the ball, which I'm pretty, which we see as a red card pretty much every time when you go over the ball, even if you hit it into the yeah. shin. This wasn't that, but I get why Liverpool fans are pissed because they always look back at the Curtis Jones thing where he got sent off for going over the ball and into the shin. Yeah, I would like to see these not given as reds, but I absolutely understand why everyone's pissed because, again, zero freaking consistency. Yeah, it's like, well, we had it this one time, and it's like, well, didn't you, didn't you complain about it for like five months after that? Um, nonetheless, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Don't get your don't get yourself worked up, Dylan. Liverpool, they're not they're not in United's realm this year. Um, okay, Liverpool are top, forty eight points. They have a game and uh, game extra played than City, who are on 43, just five points behind them. That's why I say if they draw one of these games to like Tottenham or Arsenal or something like that, and City just win out, it doesn't matter. Um, so five points clear. Meanwhile, Bournemouth are in 12th, 25 points, four points off Wolves, four points off Newcastle, and one point clear of Fulham. Bournemouth are fine on relegation, by the way. They're not going to get relegated. There's just not a chance at hell. All right. Next game up, Sheffield United 2, West Ham 2. The Sheffield United side deserved a point at bare minimum because they showed me more in these 90 minutes than I've seen since the City game at the beginning of the year where they were just bullying Holland. And they were taking it to them. Yeah, they were. At the front and at the back. like They were just playing really, really well. Um, kudos was a big miss for them, for sure. But I think the first thing to do with this game is get into the calls. Um because that dominated the end of the game. The end of this game was absolutely freaking insane. Um, just. I mean, I don't think it was crack pretty much. Um, West Ham got a penalty. Correct call. I would agree mm. um, for me, at least um, the Brewster red was one of the most dead certain red cards I have seen in a while left his feet. Flying in, reckless, dangerous, literally checked off all five boxes that you could possibly think of for being a red card. Somehow, of course, the referee didn't call it on the field because all they do is count on VAR to bail them out. And VAR, of course, immediately bailed him out here because it was that freaking obvious. Um, second yellow on Kufal, correct call again. 
Um, I don't remember what the first one was, but I haven't seen many complaints on that. So I imagine it was the correct call too. Um, Areola on the penalty at the very end, which um, was right after the second yellow for Kufal. And obviously scoreline was 2-1. Goes flying out there, misses. Um, they had to call it after they apologized to Wolves like an hour after the United game, the very beginning of the season um, for Onana doing it. You admitted at the time it was probably the wrong call. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they were going to have to call it here. And then... The last one um, was the no call. Bowen claims that he was getting pulled over. Um, it looks like they were both grabbing each other at the same time. I think in the end, the referees came to the right decision on all of these big calls in this game, which is hey! great. Um, the red card obviously should have been called on the field, but right decision in the end. So I don't really think there's anything crazy to talk about here. It was just a ton. It was a ref show, but I don't think the refs got any of the major decisions wrong. Which is actually wild. Which it's just kind of it's it's crazy that the refs did not screw up one of these calls. Yeah, I opinion. think the most controversial one is without a doubt the aerial pin, um, because you know he did get hurt on it. Um, something happened to his face. I think he took a forearm to the face or something or um, elbow. But I still think they got that one right. And that's the most controversial one. The other ones, I don't know how you're arguing with them that much. Um, you can argue the Bowen thing, but they're both hugging each other. It's in the rules. If there's equal contact between the two players, it's a no call. So if anything, the referee got it wrong by giving it a foul um, in Sheffield United's favor. But again, I, I don't. That's not a game-changing call. Like no, it's not like a penalty would have been. No, and I, I'm in agreement. <clears throat> the the West Ham pin was correct. The Brewster red card just send him off. I, I'm I'm. It's really starting to piss me off how referees are not refing a game and are saying VAR help me out on big decisions. That's the, my he one complaint. obvious red of the season. I think Keith, like blew. it was so bad. He went flying. He was literally both legs were off the ground. Like when I saw it live, I was like, he just went directly into his Achilles. That's a red card. That's a red card. That's a red thank card. Yellow. Heard. Yeah, seriously. It was a, it was a really bad challenge. Um, the second yellow on Kufal, he hip checks him in when they had an advantage and they had two against one that's a yellow card definitely again i hand up admitted ananos was probably a pin at the beginning of the year so areolas is two and i'm agreement with jace i think bowen was actually looking for it a little bit because if you look at the beginning of that bowen starts holding him before the defender begins any sort of physical contact then the ball comes in, the defender's trying to move, and Bowen's got his arms all over him already. It's it's just you're gonna fall down. You're gonna have a tangle of legs. I, I don't I don't see any disagreements here. Um yeah, I, I, I the one other thing I have here is Ben Brereton Diaz, the loney from Villarreal. If they can make him permanent, which I don't know if they're gonna be able to, and they can well, I think they'd have to survive to make him permanent. He could be a reason they survive. He is good. Yeah, him and McAtee are both really good. McAtee's obviously a loney. Um, I doubt they'll keep him. Either City will sell him for a massive profit or yeah. um, keep him. But I, I imagine he gets Cole Palmer. Yeah. A little, little Cole Palmer thing of where we can say homegrown product. Everything is about revenue these days when you're selling players because FFP is the dumbest thing that has ever been created somehow. somehow how, did, how did we get to a place where we were saying, you know what? The finances are out of control. Let's make some rules. And the rules are just 
not ass backwards. Yeah, they're ass backwards. Yes, that's the best way of describing them. Ass backwards. It doesn't make sense. It's all about revenue. And then if it's a homegrown product, you get a higher and you get revenue from that. You have a higher like essentially like a tally. You have a tally on your thing. It's like, oh, we got one of our Academy products sold. Boom. Look at us. We have $50 million to spend now. It's like, how does that work? Right. Like Chelsea can sell Mount and Havertz to Arsenal and spend a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. But Everton, you know, can't do anything like what's their biggest sale in recent memory is probably the John Stones to City deal, I guess. Uh, no, Richarlison. Richarlison yeah, was freaking two years ago. Yeah. He's and, 60 million. How, like, how is that not keeping them up in the finances? Like, I just, I know some of theirs is stadium related debt and Farah Mashiri being an absolute clown. Mm-hmm. And Todd Bowley obviously has significantly more money than he does. Right. But, and they're not building a new stadium. Right. It's just the rules don't make sense. And I'm not I'm not trying to complain about Chelsea. Like everything they've done is within the rule book, like which is, you know, fine, I guess. But like how well, is the problem? Rules, how do the rules allow that? Yeah. Like, and Forest makes more sense because they went on an absolute spending spree <laughs> yeah. and they had to get, you know, 30 something players in. Like, that makes sense. But I feel terrible for Everton uh, when, you know, they've got the, the big Richarlison sale, but it means absolutely nothing. Like Spurs paid, I think, 60 million pounds for him. Like, the Nottingham Forest, know. the Nottingham Forest one, when that got handed out, I was like, "Uh, yeah, that one." Yeah, that, I mean, that makes sense. That I, math I don't know adds up. Their owner was thinking. I get they had to get players, but like, yeah, some of them are bad, um, and uh, of course, some of them completely failed. We'll get to Emmanuel Dennis uh, on Thursday. Oh yeah, guy. dude, I forgot about him because I thought he was going to be good for Force. All right, uh, back to this game after I tangent it off of being pissed about FFP, which is just you know a normal Monday. Uh, Cornet did well to step into the kudos role. He's not kudos. All they can ask is just one gonna go out early, which good Lord, we will get into AFCON. Like I said, later, they had a two goal lead in the 91st minute and they drew two, two today to get eliminated, to get eliminated. So kudos, he will be back. Um, I was, as we were doing our rundown, I was like, yeah, just get Cornet for kudos until he comes back. And he is going to be back very soon. Um, And I think that's kind of it on this game. It's a great game. It was a very good game. Very entertaining. Sheffield United showed some stuff. And that's why I say about Palace, I'd be slightly concerned if I were Palace. I'd be slightly concerned. I agree. Everton too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's get on to Forrest, as we just talked about. Brentford 3, Forrest 2. Our guy, Ivan Tony returns. And so does Brentford being just insane. They're insane people. They're crazy people. (laughs) This game was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Danilo scored a banger to open it up. Tony, I'm um, on the free kick. You can call it gamesmanship, cheating, um, whatever you want to call it. He did break the rules completely. Uh, Matt Turner set his wall. The ref put the foam down. Tony moved the ball and then moved the foam to make it look like he hadn't moved the ball out of the original circle and mm-hmm. then hits it right on right past the wall. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's very obvious what he did. Um VAR can't intervene in that. That is not on the referee. He wasn't looking. It's on the assistant referee and the fourth official for just not paying attention. Like yeah. I don't blame Tony for trying it, but he should have been yellow carded and they should have had to move the ball back. But again, if the assistant referee and the fourth referee are not going to do their jobs, then what, well, you know, there's nothing you can do about it there. That I mean, shouldn't be something VAR has to deal with. Let's Literally, remind ourselves. You're the AR standing right there. 
Look yeah. at the player taking the free kick. If he picks up the foam and moves it to the right, maybe you should let the referee know to give Ivan Tony a yellow card for, uh, I believe it's unsportsmanlike or whatever. You know, like, but anyway, it was still a great free kick. He nailed it in there. Matt Turner, absolutely zero chance. Neil Malpai scored a bangers, and it was just, it was a fun-ass game. And I think that's exactly, you're exactly right. Ivan Tony comes back. And Brentford are just back on their shit again. <laughs> yeah, they're literally, we're going to be on illicit drugs. Like, Brentford games are just illicit drugs these days. Because you look at them, you're like, you guys are crackheads. They're crackheads. And I, I think the Tony one, too, players do that all the time. You can't take your eyes off the guy who's taking the free kick. Or else he will do something sketchy. It's just like, and he probably looked around and was like, nobody's looking. And also, while we're on free kicks, I mean... We've had a lot of problems the last like couple years with this because United Villa last season, the Dinier goal, United's wall was like 14 yards away. Like, how can, how are we messing up the easy things? How? How? Come on. We're better yeah, than this. That, that's part of it, uh, the easy things. I forgot about that um, when the, the, the wall was literally so far away. I was like, looking... if you could see it on the picture, it just looked yeah. so natural. Like, it was just insane. But... Yeah, players always do this, and I don't blame them for doing it. That's why I would call it gamesmanship, not cheating. Mm. But, like, how is the fourth official or the assistant referee not paying attention? Like, moving the ball, spinning the ball is one thing, but watching the guy pick up the foam and move it, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, he literally had to scoop up the vanishing spray and scoot it to the right. And none of you saw it. Nobody. And no one saw it. And, again, I don't blame the on-field, the main ref because he was, like, you know, making sure um, Brentford players weren't interfering with the forest wall and all of that yeah. crap, the administration stuff you have to do before a free kick. It's just crazy. But, yeah, um, I think Forrest showed some fight this game, and they have since Nuno came in. Um, they've gotten some results. They've lost some games. I think, in the end, the right decision was made. Now, of course, we won't know until the end of the season because if, you know, Staying up is how you know the right decision was made. Right. Right. Um, and of course, we'll see with the FFP stuff. Um, yeah, that's my main question. Coming to hand it down. I do have a funny fact on that. The season ends the 19th of May. Mm -hmm. And the end of the appeal, we'll know what's going on before the season's over. But the end of the appeal date would be is the 24th. So let's say they get relegated because of the deduction. Then they win their appeal on the 24th. They don't get relegated, and whoever was above them gets relegated. I also don't think they're going to win that appeal. I think I think Forrest is pretty open and shut. I agree. Um, if if they do get deducted points, do you think they stay up? Let's assume it's ten. Um, Let's assume it's ten, like Everton. Do you think they stay up? No, I don't think so either. I think I think Luton. I don't think so. I think Sheffield United and Luton have shown enough that if they get the opportunity, I think they're going to take it. But that's where I'm at. That's kind of where I'm at. Where like those two teams are producing, and even Burnley right now. I, I I'm still. It might be a little. It might be a little a guy who's just following a team too much, but I do think Burnley have found their feet recently. That if they draw, like I don't know, it's going to be ten points is a lot at the bottom of the table. It's so much. And if Everton and them both, if Everton get deducted 20 points in a year, good Lord, that would be just insanity. 
I mean, that, that would 20 be points, so messed up. You're that going would down. would be so messed up. Like, you're going down at that point. There's no doubt about it. No, there's nothing you can do about it. And then, you know, there are FFP rules about stadium stuff since the second longest tenure team in the league into the championship because of your rules. But, you yeah. Know. Also, no Morgan Gibbs White, no Alanga this game. So just say that, and then that's the reasoning why. It would have been 3-3. If we had Morgan Gibbs White and Lang. Yeah. Hudson Adoy did have one of those games. You know, he him and Alanga aren't going to show up every game. Mm. But when they do, they're pretty good. And Hudson Adoy had a good game. It's just the Ivan Tony crack that this team smokes when he's playing. <laughs> they just find a way to win. Um, they'll find ways to lose spectacularly too. Yeah. But they found a way to win today. The, they will also find ways to like draw this game three three. Like Chris right. Wood could have gotten a late header. It goes 3-3, just like the one that Hudson Adoy put in where he flicked in. That could have happened. This team is insane. If you enjoy craziness, just watch Brentford every single week for the rest of the season because it's going to be wild. Yep, they are certainly entertaining. Yep. All right. Uh, nothing else on this game from me. Jace, you have anything else? No, that's it. Okay. Uh, Forest are in 16th, 20 points. They are only four points clear. They would be, if they got relegated, they would be level on points with Sheffield United if they got relegated. If they got deducted 10 points, they'd be level on points with Sheffield United. If Everton gets deducted another 10 points, they're bottom of the league. So, uh, this whole FFP thing, I, I'm really over it. We gotta, uh, apparently there are rule changes coming this summer, coincidentally, before City will probably have their hearing. Um, I, I really, this really needs to change. Because the second, you punish them once. Everton have been punished. That should be it. 10 points should be it. Especially for one charge. And now we're getting into a over second the same charge. time period, too. Yeah. Like, the same exact years or the same numbers. Like, or like, I don't know. Like, when did transfer bans stop being a thing? Yeah. What? That is very true. When did, like, what they, UEFA tried to give City a European ban. Mm hmm. And so you're um, like, Chelsea no, we're going to keep transfer playing. ban for. Like um, Lampard's first years that were too young, too early, or contacting them or something. Yeah, it was all academy stuff. And Lampard's first year, everybody thought he was incredible because he didn't have any signings. But in reality, they signed a bunch of people in January and then they were prepped for the summer. Do you remember that? They signed Pulisic in January yeah. and then we're like, he'll be there in the summer. And it, it it's just not how it's supposed to work right now. She's not. No, the big teams already have enough of an advantage with their financial firepower. Especially mm -hmm. in this day and age, it's just uh, stuff negatively affecting the teams at the bottom. Just yeah, you really hate to see it. And again, Forest, if anyone makes sense, it's them. But <laughs> I just I feel terrible for Everton and their fans. It's just nothing has gone their way since Farah Mashiri took over and gone from borderline there being a top seven in the league mm -hmm. to pretty terrible. Yeah, Not no, like too long of a span. Relegation fighting. Yep. Consistently. What, this will be the third year in a row they're fighting relegation? Yeah. And it got, I think the second, if I remember correctly, the first season of Roberto Martinez, they finished above David Moyes' United. I remember that because that was just like, everyone was sticking a knife into United fans' bodies that year. And the one that twisted the most was Everton fans going, we got a new manager and we finished above your, the manager you took and he's lasted. The second year, of Roberto Martinez, I think they found themselves in a bit of a fight for a time and then got out of it. Ever since then, they have been the 10th, around 10th and anywhere, you know, upwards of three above or three below that. Now yeah. it's relegation fighting. 
Every Especially year. when they had Carlo. Like, there was never a worry when it was Ancelotti. But there's a reason he's succeeding at Real Madrid. Is he's Carlo Ancelotti. He was just waiting for that next call. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's been a disaster ever since. But, yeah. Everton are in 17th. They're on 17 points. If they do get deducted 10 points, they would be on seven points with eight wins. They'd be on seven points with eight wins. That's insane. That's literally just nuts to hear. Uh, Forrest, or no, excuse me. Um, oh, uh, Everton didn't play. I, no, I we're, just talking about, we're just talking about FFP. Uh, I forgot. I, I get so enthralled in FFP, I forget who's playing. Brentford are in 14th, 22 points. I think we said we need to have a conversation about Brentford like two weeks ago. No, we don't. Ivan Tony, they're going to be fine. They're going to pick up these crazy wins. They're going to pick up crazy draws. They're going to lose crazy games. They're just going to be fun the rest of the year. Um, they've upgraded to fun. We are upgrading Brentford to fun. Without a doubt. Yet again. Um, meanwhile, Forrest in 16, 20 points. Like I said, if they get that 10-point deduction, they will be level on points with Sheffield United as it stands. Okay, one game to get through. The game today, which... From a play perspective, went exactly how I was expecting. From a goals perspective, did not. Brighton nil, Wolves nil. Brighton did the the thing they like to do every single week. Wolves did the thing they like to do every week. No one could find the back of the net. Yeah, and no really massive, massive chances either. There wasn't like some glaring miss. I think both teams had a little over one XG, but um, yeah. My biggest thing was it's great to see Pedro Neto back in the 11. He's been coming off the bench, uh, mm-hmm. working his way back from the hamstring injury. He looked electric again, looked like yep. their only outlet. Um, almost caught Steele out uh, by just hesitating his cross or his cutback. Uh, he Steele started to lean um, towards blocking the cutback. Neto shot it on goal and great keeping. He got his foot up and blocked it back for a corner. But besides that, there wasn't a ton. I mean, Brighton dominated possession, of course, and didn't do a whole lot with it. So, yeah, yeah there wasn't a ton to talk about here. Do, do we need to have my one thing on this game? Do we need to have a discussion about Evan Ferguson? Is, is I think need... he's just young. It's too early. He's not Erling Holland. Like, no, no, no. I'm just saying the minutes he's getting is. It's been weird to me since like la- the second half of last season. It's weird. I think that's part of it. Like what I'm saying, he's not Erling Holland. Like. Jao Pedro is producing more than he is. I know Ferguson had the hat trick against Newcastle, and that was awesome. And I do completely agree. He should be playing literally every game. He's on like he's your future. He just signed a six year contract. Like he's not going anywhere at the moment. Uh, But I don't know. I I do agree. It's weird. Um, I don't want to speculate too much, but like, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like something behind the scenes or. Like, yeah. deserve he doesn't. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it, it is a very odd situation. Like, he scored the hat trick against Newcastle September 2nd. It's a long time ago now. The last couple of games, off the bench against Wolves, he started against Stoke in the FA Cup, which doesn't really count to me. Off the bench against West Ham, off the bench against Tottenham, uh, didn't play against Palace in a 1 1 game. He started the game against Arsenal which was just at this point mean because that was the uh, Anaconda Arsenal where they were just suffocating Brighton. Um, and then it's the last time he really got significant starting minutes was Burnley December 9th. I was looking at that today and I'm like, why? If you have a guy at that age, you play him and start him every week. I don't care who's on your team. Like Harry Kane 
at that age is, and, and I think Evan Ferguson is Harry Kane light, if you will. A we're seeing a regen of a very similar player. You you start him every game. I don't care if he's going through a rut. I don't care if there are issues. You start him every game. Different situation because United don't really have don't have a Jao Pedro, mm. but like there's a reason Koyland plays every game. Even when it took him five months to score a Premier League goal, like he's the guy that's the future. If he, if your team is going to be consistently good in the future, you know he's going to need to be good, right? And Brighton are the same way. Like I just think that there must there might be something going on there. I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't fully trust him yet. You're right though; it's a weird situation. Like it would be equivalent of United starting Martial for like three quarters of our game. With what Brighton are doing with Welbeck and Ferguson. Yeah, Welbeck though. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird, definitely weird that it's Welbeck. Like Jean Pedro makes sense, but I don't know. You're yeah. you're right. It is weird. Okay. All right. That is. Oh wait, hold on. Let me do table for those two teams quickly. Uh, Brighton are in seven thirty-two points. They are ahead of United on goal difference because United's goal difference is negative five. United have a negative five goal difference. That is. Terrific. Um, meanwhile, Wolves in 11 point, uh, 11th place, 29 points. They have a better goal difference than United as well. Who They only have a negative one goal difference. So Gary O'Neill. Gary O'Neill. All right. That's it. That's weekend review done. Let's get into three games from around Europe. Uh, Jace, Real Madrid this weekend had... They were down, what, 2-0 to Almira? Am I correct in that 2-0? Um, they were down 2-0, and then there was a goal ruled out that would have put Almira up 3-1. They are bottom of La Liga. In, in my opinion, that goal should not have been called out. I get the hands to the face or whatever, and it's Bellingham goes down. I, I don't It looks Everything soft. Everything looked worse in slow motion. Yes, it looked soft. It probably should have been 3-0 Almira. They get a it would have been three one, but yeah, same difference. Would have been three one. Oh yeah, would have been three one. Uh, Bellingham had already scored. Would have been three one. The Vinicius Junior goal. How the hell is that? Like one, they called handball on the field, right? Went to VAR and VAR was like, nope, that's a goal. How? He hit it off his arm. Yeah, first of all, that's something only Brazilians could do. I swear, the yeah. accuracy with his shoulder is absurd. <laughs> Or his upper arm, like, and he said he used to, he grew, grew up playing like that. Um, but yeah, whether it hit his shoulder or upper arm, I think is irrelevant in the fact that it was called a handball on the field. And I get every country has different ways to interpret VAR and all that, but like, benefit of the doubt, you stick with the on field call. And this was just like, I don't know how you reverse it at all like i mean I, I just don't get it i mean he fired it in with his arm yeah i didn't know it wasn't his uh, hand of god he didn't smack it in with his hands or you know elbow it into the goal or whatever but like i mean to me it, it looked like it was borderline on that line that you call the handball i don't think it was like the top of his shoulder so that one was i think the most like why was this called yeah and the coach i think after the their goal was the Almira coach, uh, Gasica Garitano. Gasica Garitano. I sounded super Southern trying to say that originally. Uh, and the second time. 
after their goal was taken off, he essentially he apparently was waving his arms and saying, "Just forfeit. It's not. It, this is pointless." Um, and clearly, it was. You should have forfeited that moment. He got sent off too in the ninety seventh minute. I would have uh, as well. Don't yeah, I probably, him. I probably would have gotten sent off that game. Uh, Danny Carvajal makes it three two, and Madrid come away winners in a very dubious fashion. Um, we'll give a quick La Liga update. Girona are still top of the league. Casually, that's kind of crazy. They had a guy fire a 15 minute hat trick this weekend, I believe. Yeah, do you know who Girona are owned by? Yeah, their city group. Yep, yep, yep. It was only a matter of time, to be honest. They'll never be consistently Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid, but it was only a matter of time before they joined the. I know these guys aren't necessarily having the best years, but like the Valencia, the Sociedads, the Sevillas, the next tier of La Liga. I agree. Um, yeah, Madrid are in second, just one point behind them. They do have a game in hand, Madrid do, so do Barcelona, but I think Barcelona are kind of out of this as it stands right now. They've not had a good season. They did win 4-2 this weekend. Ferran Torres should be starting every game for Barcelona. He looked like the player that we all fought yes. when he got to Manchester City. Um, I don't think either of us fully understood why Barcelona were spending their very limited funds um, to bring him in um, and why City were very happy to just let him walk out the door. If you remember, yeah. they put up a fight for Eric Garcia. But yeah, they did. They did not for Fernand Torres, um, <laughs> which is funny. Considering I, I, right now. Wasn't he homesick, <laughs> though? Was Ferran Torres homesick? Wasn't that a rumor? That he yeah, there was something like that. He just didn't adapt to Manchester. And, you know, I guess I can get that. I mean, these players, especially when they come in young, have a life outside of the pitch. And the adjustment from sunny Spain to Randy Manchester could be mm-hmm. a struggle for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, basically, Javi said, he told me, I will do whatever you want me to do in order to be a better player. And Xavi absolutely loved it. The guy just seems like a dog. Like he's just willing to put in the work and he clearly did that. And he's going to get his chances and got one um, this weekend and, you know, scored the hat trick, went straight over to Xavi, gave him a big hug. So um, glad to see him succeeding. Yep. And Frankie Dion, 200 games for Barcelona. I think that's enough, right? Come on to United or Arsenal, please, please. We need both of us need number eights. Please come yeah, to United. I don't know Arsenal. if he's ever going to leave. I don't, I don't think, think he is. I, I don't think he's ever leaving. I, I the United that summer that we had, uh, not last summer, summer before last, when we started this podcast, that was just essentially Frankie De Jong Central. I don't think that's happening again. Uh, also, Lamine Mall is just really good. Sixteen years of age, and he is better than probably seventy five percent of the players in La Liga. Yeah, he's very good. Um, I think they'll eventually move on from Ensu Fati this summer and he will be their next big uh, attacking threat. Gavi and Pedri, obviously more of other other things. Yeah, do you think Lewandowski is leaving? I think in Barcelona's dreams, Saudi Arabia offer a big bag for him. Yep, and that's what United are trying to do with Sancho and Anthony, if you haven't seen. Yeah, we just said, I think hey. that's what everyone are trying to do, and I'm going to talk more about the Saudi Arabian experiment on Thursday, um, but I'll get to that after this Bayern game. I'll give a quick rundown of what's going down on uh, Transfer Corner on Thursday. 
Yeah, we also uh, at the end of after this Bayern game, we're going to talk about United's uh, stuff, Ineos, what they've done, new CEO, and uh, other things that we need to discuss that Ineos have done so far, and then we'll get out of here. Bayern are in trouble. Sunday they lose to Werder Bremen one nil. Uh, they are saying they've lost to them since 2008, I believe. Maybe it was 09. Doesn't Ooh. make it any better either way. Ooh. And they're seven points off Leverkusen. They do have a game in hand, but seven points off Leverkusen's a lot. This Leverkusen team look like animals. Yeah, they haven't lost yet. Big win against Leipzig this weekend, too. Um, yeah, Bayern are in trouble. They're out of both cups. Um, no, no, they only have one cup. They lost the German Super Cup at the beginning of the season. They're out of the DFB Pokal. Mm. So it's just the Bundesliga for them and obviously the Champions League. But they just don't look good under Tuchel, and they've never looked Bayern good under Tuchel. Um, and I think they know they made a mistake with Nagelsmann, and I have zero doubt Tuchel is going to get sacked either at the end of the season or after they get eliminated from the Champions League. Um, because I think they will at this rate, even though they should still be one of the favorites because it's the team they have. And I bet they will be going after Bayer Leverkusen and Sushabi Alonso. What about Hansi Flick? Return. No, I think there's bad blood between him and the board. I know they have new board members um, or some new ones since then, but I mean, he wanted money. They wouldn't spend it. And now they've, of course, bought Harry Kane and all that since then. But yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't think it's working under Tuchel. I think the Chelsea project was the perfect time, the perfect storm to go and win that Champions League. Um, they were just so good defensively, and they had guys up front that were just getting goals when they needed them. And there's a reason um, it fell apart there, and it's not just Todd Bowley at all. It was the season before that too. They weren't. Yeah. World beaters, they made the Champions League, but um, the league wasn't as good three years ago as it is this year. So, yeah, I, I think Bayern are in, are in serious trouble, but they'll always linger around. They're not going to lose a bunch of games. Like, I know they lost to Verda this weekend, but they're not going to keep just losing in the Bundesliga. They just don't do that. So if Leverkusen do slip, I could see them doing it, but you're asking a team that hasn't lost this season to slip. Yeah. They've also... Uh, this is just straight from Fabrizio Romano because he likes to just prop up random people. Alejandro Grimaldo has seven goals and eight assists for Bayard Leverkusen this year, and they got him for a free. That- it's it's Javi Alonso. He is the next big name. Like, I get why Real Madrid kept Carlo and the players love him and all that, but like, Javi Alonso would have been a long term solution, and Carlo's not, but I mean, he might be one for Bayern. It really sucks that he there's just no chance he would ever go to United. No, I think it's only Real Madrid, Liverpool, or Bayern Munich. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bayern are in trouble. Also, speaking of United future managers, if Eric Ten Hag is going to be sacked here at the end of the season, I swear, if I see people propping up Tuchel, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose my mind. That's Graham Potter and Tuchel. No. No. And look, I don't think Tuchel's a bad manager, but he had the one run with Chelsea and his other seasons. He's underperformed with the biggest clubs, PSG, Bayern, like, and Chelsea after the Champions League run. So 
And I don't think he really did great at Dortmund. Like at Dortmund, he was fine. He was acceptable for what Dortmund were trying to do. But hasn't has he won the league anywhere? Isn't that a thing? He doesn't win leagues. I don't um, think I don't think Tuchel's ever won the league. No, he, he must have won it at PSG, right? Dude, I think remember I think they lost it that one year. They I'm lost to Monaco sure. one year. I know that, but that and might have been too early. They lost to uh, Leon or Leo. Leon or no, it was Lille. It was Leo. Yeah. Let me, I'm looking it up right now. I I don't think he has won a uh da, 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 honors. Coco, I oh, won Liga twice. Does that count? Does that like really count though? Not to PSG's owners. No. no. How did he win? Oh my gosh, he technically won the Bundesliga. 22 Oh, because, because of last season. But yes. he not team. No. No. Yeah, it, it, he, no. Please, no. Not the Tuchella ban. All right, uh, last thing before we get out of here. United have appointed a CEO. It is not Jean-Claude Blanc as expected. It is, I forget his name. I forgot his name. Ah, um, sorry, looking it up. Please pause for station identification. The Manchester City executive, Omar Barada, who was there. What was he? CFO, I think. Yeah. Um, this has been heralded and praised everywhere, essentially, from all outlets, including city players. I think this is a great move for United. He's a guy who is was integral to building up City and especially when after City got the FFP questions, he was the guy that was doing a lot of this stuff. He was the guy making smart purchases. He was the guy uh, bringing in and selling players, staying within FFP. He knows young talent. We need to continue this and continue these hires because this seems like a, a home run. Yeah, no, I uh, this has been universally praised, which. I mean, you the better universally praised than universally shadowed. So, like, I mean, it's a step in the right direction, but, you know, there's still obviously a lot more work to do behind the scenes. But this sounds like the guy you want leading that gutting of the behind the scenes in Manchester United. So, yeah. And he's already handed in his resignation at City. I think City were quite shocked. They tried to keep him on. United do have that bag. They this can't. One, and they're, I mean, it's a promotion, obviously. Besides yeah. just a raise. But I thought what was super interesting is if this was last season, we would have learned that this guy was in contention two months before it actually happened. Ineos just went in there and got him. And by the time it leaked to the press, to David Ornstein, I believe, had it first, uh, the ink was already drying. Like, yeah. he had resigned and he was going to Manchester United. Like, So I think that is also a huge positive. Um for what the future might look like under Enios, because that didn't leak. That's what I was saying. The whole, I was talking to my dad about this. The good thing that I like is that everyone in the media was saying Jean-Claude Blanc, Jean-Claude Blanc, Jean-Claude Blanc, and it ends up being not him. He's going to be, I think, in an advisory role. But the fact that since Enios has come in, a lot of this stuff isn't leaked to the press is great. That is just an improvement of itself right there. That's all we needed. Um, and then also today something happened where we hired um, Lester's, the guy that designed Lester's training facility, which I've been big a part of upping. 
he is going to be a part of the designing of, I think he'd probably be heading up the designing of United's new training facility because Carrington is a cesspool of just mediocrity at this point. Yeah, we've talked about the facilities. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything else? Yeah, Thursday I'm going to run through any noteworthy transfers. What's going on with MLS, including a potential American referee strike, uh, Benzema mess in Saudi Arabia, and anything else that comes up. Okay, nice. Jace, Jace's transfer special coming on Thursday. I personally can't wait. All right, I've been doing. I've been Jace. Have a good evening. Have a good evening. We will see you guys on Friday. Peace.